0: chapter thirty nine of young people's treasury volume six famous travels and adventures by hamilton wright maybe this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b pharaoh's tomb by giovanni battista belzoni the burial place of the great city of a hundred gates was at the foot of the libyan mountains on the west of thebes every part of these rocks is cut out by art in the form of large and small chambers each of which has its separate entrance and though they are very close to each other it is seldom that there is any interior communication from one to another i can truly say it is impossible to give any description sufficient to convey the smallest idea of these subterranean abodes and their inhabitants there are no sepulchres in any part of the world like them there are no excavations or mines that can be compared to these truly astonishing places and no exact description can be given of their interior owing to the difficulty of visiting these recesses a traveler is generally satisfied when he has seen the large hall the gallery the staircase and as far as he can conveniently go besides he is taken up with the strange works he sees cut in various places and painted on each side of the walls so that when he comes to a narrow and difficult passage or to have to descend to the bottom of a well or cavity he declines taking such trouble naturally supposing that he cannot see in these abysses anything so magnificent as what he sees above and consequently deeming it useless to proceed any farther of some of these tombs many persons could not withstand the suffocating air which often causes fainting a vast quantity of dust rises so fine that it enters the throat and nostrils, and chokes the throat and mouth to such a degree that it requires great power of lungs to resist it, and the strong effluvia of the mummies. This is not all. The entry or passage where the bodies are is roughly cut in the rocks, and the falling of sand from the upper part or ceiling of the passage causes it to be nearly filled up. In some places there is not more than the vacancy of a foot left, which you must contrive to pass through in a creeping posture like a snail on pointed and keen stones that cut like glass after getting through these passages some of them two or three hundred yards long you generally find a more commodious place perhaps high enough to sit but what a place of rest surrounded by bodies by heaps of mummies in all directions which previous to my being accustomed to the sight impressed me with horror The blackness of the wall, the faint light given by the candles or torches for want of air, the different objects that were around me seeming to converse with each other, and the Arabs with the torches or candles in their hands, naked and covered with dust, themselves resembling living mummies, absolutely formed a scene that cannot be described. In such a situation I found myself several times, and often returned exhausted and fainting, until at last I became inured to it. And indifferent to what i suffered except from the dust which never failed to choke my throat and nose and though fortunately i am destitute of the sense of smelling i could taste that the mummies were rather unpleasant to swallow after the exertion of entering such a place after a passage of fifty a hundred three hundred or perhaps six hundred yards nearly overcome i sought a resting place found one and contrived to sit but when my weight bore on the body of an Egyptian, it crushed it like a bandbox. I naturally had recourse to my hands to sustain my weight, but they found no better support, so that I sank among the broken mummies with a crash of bones, rags, and wooden cases, which raised such a dust as kept me motionless for a quarter of an hour, waiting until it subsided again. I could not move from the place, however, without increasing it, and every step I took crushed a mummy in some part or other once i was conducted from such a place to another resembling it through a passage of about twenty feet in length and no wider than that the body could be forced through it was choked with mummies and i could not pass without putting my face in contact with that of some decayed egyptian but as the passage inclined downward my own weight helped me on however i could not help being covered with bones legs arms and heads rolling from above me thus i proceeded from one cave to another all full of mummies piled up in various ways some standing some lying and some on their heads the purpose of my researches was to rob the egyptians of their papyri of which i found a few hidden in their breasts under their arms and in the space above the knees or on the legs and covered by the numerous folds of cloth that enveloped the mummy On October sixteenth, 1817, I recommenced my excavations in the valley of Biban el-Maluk and pointed out the fortunate spot which has paid me for all the trouble I took in my researches. Not fifteen yards from the last tomb I described, I caused the earth to be opened at the foot of a steep hill and under a torrent which, when it rains, pours a great quantity of water over the very spot I have caused to be dug no one could imagine that the ancient egyptians would make the entrance into such an immense and superb excavation just under a torrent of water but i had strong reasons to suppose that there was a tomb in that place from indications i had observed in my pursuit the fellahs who were accustomed to dig were all of opinion that there was nothing in that spot as the situation of this tomb differed from that of any other i continued to work however and the next day the seventeenth in the evening we reached the part of the rock that was cut and formed the entrance it was eighteen feet below ground and led to a corridor i perceived immediately by the painting on the ceiling and by the hieroglyphics in basso relievo which were to be seen where the earth did not reach that this was the entrance to a large and magnificent tomb at the end of this corridor i came to a staircase 23 feet long and of the same breadth as the corridor, 8 feet 8 inches. The door at the bottom is 12 feet high. From the foot of the staircase, I entered another corridor, 37 feet 3 inches long and of the same width and height as the other, each side sculptured with hieroglyphics in basso-relievo and painted. The ceiling also is finely painted and in pretty good preservation. When we had passed through a little aperture in the wall, we found ourselves in a beautiful hall, 27 feet 6 inches by 25 feet 10 inches, in which were four pillars 3 feet square. At the end of this room, which I call the entrance hall, and opposite the aperture, is a large door, from which three steps lead down into a chamber with two pillars. This is 28 feet 2 inches by 25 feet 6 inches. The pillars are three feet ten inches square i gave it the name of the drawing-room for it is covered with figures which though only outlined are so fine and perfect that you would think they had been drawn only the day before returning into the entrance hall we saw on the left of the aperture a large staircase which descended into a corridor it is thirteen feet four inches long seven and a half feet wide and has eighteen steps at the bottom we entered a beautiful corridor thirty six feet six inches by six feet eleven inches we perceive that the paintings became more perfect as we advanced farther into the interior they retained their gloss or kind of varnish over the colors which had a beautiful effect the figures are painted on a white ground at the end of this corridor we descended ten steps which i call the small stairs into another seventeen feet two inches by ten feet five inches from this we entered a small chamber twenty feet four inches by thirteen feet eight inches to which i gave the name of the room of beauties for it is adorned with the most beautiful figures in basso relievo like all the rest and painted when standing in the center of this chamber the traveler is surrounded by an assembly of egyptian gods and goddesses proceeding farther we entered a large hall twenty-seven feet nine inches by twenty-six feet ten inches in this hall are two rows of square pillars three on each side of the entrance forming a line with the corridors at each side of this hall is a small chamber that on the right is ten feet five inches by eight feet eight inches that on the left ten feet five inches by eight feet nine inches and a half this hall i termed the hall of pillars the little room on the right isis's room as in it a large cow is painted of which I shall give a description hereafter, that on the left the room of mysteries from the mysterious figures it exhibits. At the end of this hall we entered a large saloon with an arched roof or ceiling, which is separated from the hall of pillars only by a step, so that the two may be reckoned one. The saloon is thirty-one feet ten inches by twenty-seven feet. On the right of the saloon is a small chamber without anything in it roughly cut, as if unfinished, and without painting. On the left, we entered a chamber with two square pillars, 25 feet 8 inches by 22 feet 10 inches. This I called the sideboard room, as it has a projection of three feet in form of a sideboard all around, which was perhaps intended to contain the articles necessary for the funeral ceremony. The pillars are three feet four inches square, and the whole beautifully painted as the rest. At the same end of the room and facing the hall of pillars, we entered by a large door into another chamber with four pillars, one of which is fallen down. This chamber is 43 feet 4 inches by 17 feet 6 inches. The pillars 3 feet 7 inches square. It is covered with white plaster where the rock did not cut smoothly, but there is no painting on it. I named it the Bull's or Apis's room as we found the carcass of a bull in it embalmed with asphaltum and also scattered in various places an immense quantity of small wooden figures of mummies six or eight inches long and covered with asphaltum to preserve them there were some other figures of fine earth baked colored blue and strongly varnished on each side of the two little rooms were some wooden statues standing erect four feet high with a circular hollow inside as if to contain a roll of papyrus which I have no doubt they did. We found likewise fragments of other statues of wood and composition, but the description of what we found in the center of the saloon and which I have reserved till this place merits the most particular attention, not having its equal in the world and being such as we had no idea could exist. It is a sarcophagus of the finest Oriental alabaster, nine feet, five inches long and three feet, seven inches wide. Its thickness is only two inches, and it is transparent when a light is placed in the inside of it. It is minutely sculptured within and without with several hundred figures, which do not exceed two inches in height, and represent, as I suppose, the whole of the funeral procession and ceremonies relating to the deceased, united with several emblems, etc. I cannot give an adequate idea of this beautiful and invaluable piece of antiquity, and can only say that nothing has been brought into europe from egypt that can be compared with it the cover was not there it had been taken out and broken into several pieces which we found in digging before the first entrance the sarcophagus was over a staircase in the center of the saloon which communicated with a subterranean passage leading downward three hundred feet in length the wall was previously made as smooth as possible and where there were flaws in the rock the vacuum was filled up with cement which when hard was cut along with the rest of the rock where a figure or anything else was required to be formed the sculptor appears to have made his first sketches of what was intended to be cut out when the sketches were finished in red lines by the first artist another more skillful corrected the errors if any and his lines were made in black to be distinguished from those which were imperfect when the figures were thus prepared the sculptor proceeded to cut out the stone all round the figure which remained in basso relievo some to the height of half an inch and some much less according to the size of the figure for instance if a figure were as large as life its elevation was generally half an inch if the figure were not more than six inches in length its projection would not exceed the thickness of a dollar or perhaps less the angles of the figures were all smoothly rounded which makes them appear less prominent than they really are the parts of the stone that were to be taken off all around the figure did not extend much farther as the wall is thickly covered with figures and hieroglyphics and i believe there is not a space on these walls more than a foot square without some figure or hieroglyphic the garments and various parts of the limbs were marked by a narrow line not deeper than the thickness of a half crown but so exact that it produced the intended effect when the figures were completed and made smooth by the sculptor they received a coat of whitewash all over this white is so beautiful and clear that our best and whitest paper appeared yellowish when compared with it the painter came next and finished the figure it would seem as if they were unacquainted with any color to imitate the naked parts since red is adopted as a standing color for all that meant flesh there are some exceptions indeed for in certain instances when they intended to represent a fair lady by way of distinguishing her complexion from that of the men they put on a yellow color to represent her flesh yet it cannot be supposed that they did not know how to reduce their red paints to a flesh color for on some occasions where the red flesh is supposed to be seen through a thin veil the tints are nearly of the natural color if we suppose the egyptians to have been of the same hue as their ancestors the present copts some of whom are nearly as fair as the europeans their garments were generally white and their ornaments formed the most difficult part when the artists had to employ red in the distribution of the four colors in which they were very successful when the figures were finished they appear to have laid on a coat of varnish though it may be questioned whether the varnish were thus supplied or incorporated with the color the fact is that nowhere else except in this tomb is the varnish to be observed as no place in egypt can boast of such preservation nor can the true customs of the egyptians be seen anywhere else with greater accuracy immediately within the entrance into the first passage on the left hand are two figures as large as life one of which appears to be the hero entering into the tomb he is received by a deity with a hawk's head on which are the globe and serpent both figures are surrounded by hieroglyphics and farther on near the ground is a crocodile very neatly sculptured the walls on both sides of this passage are covered with hieroglyphs which are separated by lines from the top to the bottom at the distance of five or six inches from one another within these lines the hieroglyphics form their sentences and it is plainly to be seen that the egyptians read from the top to the bottom and then recommenced at the top the ceiling of this first passage is painted with the figure of the eagles in the front of this first hall facing the entrance is one of the finest compositions that was ever made by the egyptians for nothing like it can be seen in any part of egypt it consists of four figures as large as life the god osiris sits upon his throne receiving the homages of a hero who is introduced by a hawk-headed deity behind the throne is a female figure as if in attendance on the great god the whole group is surrounded by hieroglyphics and enclosed in a frame richly adorned with symbolical figures the winged globe is above with the wings spread over all and a line of serpents crowns the whole the figures and paintings are in such perfect preservation that they give the most correct idea of their ornaments and decorations on going out of the second chamber into the first hall is a staircase which leads into a lower passage the entrance into which is decorated with two figures on each side a male and a female as large as life the female appears to represent isis having as usual the horns and globe on her head she seems ready to receive the hero who is about to enter the regions of immortality the garments of this figure are so well preserved that nothing which has yet been brought before the public can give a more correct idea of egyptian costumes the figure of the hero is covered with a veil or transparent linen folded over his shoulder end of chapter thirty nine